2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. For I suppose that I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly or truly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Amen. Don't know if I've ever preached from Second Corinthians chapter 11 before, but with the help of the Lord tonight, I want to preach about being made to measure. Made to measure. Bless the Lord. Apostle Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth, if you read between the lines, seems to have been a difficult one. It wasn't an easy relationship. There was a lot of work, a lot of struggle. And he wrote in this passage of his desire to present the church there to God as a part of his bride, as part of the spotless church that Ephesians chapter 5 talks to us about. He was concerned for the church at Corinth that Just as Eve had been deceived, so would the saints at this church be deceived and that they might become, in his words, corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Or in other words, they would become confused by adding doctrines that were not of God and losing the singleness or the clarity that they had in the gospel. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. And if we stick to the main things, we can have great confidence in the Word of God and the things that we believe. And Paul was worried that this would not be the case. His concern included things such as if someone came to them preaching another Jesus or another spirit or another gospel, that they might readily accept them and easily cast aside what he had worked so hard to establish in them. Paul had worked very hard to see this church become what it was through the power of the Holy Ghost. And then in King James, 
English, Paul declared that he was not a wit behind the very chiefest of apostles. And if you're not familiar with what that means, that's okay. What he was saying was that he was just as qualified as all the other apostles, just as called, just as anointed, and having the same authority from God. He was trying to get them to to receive what he was saying to them with the same weight that they did others. But if you read earlier in the epistles to this church, you'll see there were different almost personality cults. There was one of Apollos and one of Peter and one of Paul and all these people. And he was just trying to say, just hear what God would say to you. And he said, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. This church at Corinth, it would seem, had a problem with the way that Paul spoke to them. They didn't like his manner. They didn't like his directness. They didn't like the way that he packaged things. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Paul called a spade a spade. And you read his epistles and you get a glimpse and a bit of insight into the kind of man and personality he had. He reminds me very much of a pastor I used to have. He told it how it was. And I thank God for that man of God to this very day that he was willing to do that. In fact, if you go back one chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, the opinion amongst the Corinthians was says, For his letters, speaking of Paul, say they, this is their opinion, they're weighty and powerful. Don't read that as positive. They, were, they weren't saying that to be kind. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Paul, it seems, was not an Apollos. He was not somebody that could hold a crowd in his hand while he just delivered words so eloquently and just was able to put things together in such an incredible fashion. He, he was not that kind of a man, but he was a man of God. Corinth, according to some commentators, was a commercial center of the time, a hub of commerce and business. It was very materialistic, and some suggest that they had many statesmen. We would call them politicians. People who could speak eloquently, use words to impress, to flatter, to manipulate, and to deceive. And it was in this city that a very plain speaking, bold, and direct Apostle Paul preached the gospel. He was not interested in having, he had no speech writers. He didn't have somebody in the back room preparing his sermon notes. But he just delivered what God gave him to deliver. And he said to them, he said, I may have been rude in speech. He did not dispute that fact. He he didn't seem too bothered about that fact, really. But he said, not in knowledge. And he wasn't talking about his intellect or his academic achievements, but he was telling them that when he ministered to them, he told them the truth. And what he delivered came to them directly from God, whether they liked it or not. Paul was not afraid to say what God wanted him to say. Amen. Paul was concerned in the midst of that, that just as hard as it had been for him to get them to listen to him and to respect his authority, that they might just as easily be led astray by somebody who came with subtlety, with words that were easy to believe and smooth things that appealed to their natural thinking and to their carnal natures. And he went as far as to say he wouldn't even take financial support from them in case it was misinterpreted and others tried to use it to make themselves like him. He even says that when he was in lack, 
during his time with the Corinthians, it was people from another church that took care of his needs. And he even questioned himself whether or not he should have done that. You can read into that yourselves if you read that passage again when you get home. But he, t- he, he writes that it would seem that there were some that were looking for opportunity to compare themselves to, apost- to the apostles, to say, hey, we're just like them. Listen to us. We're just like them. And Paul was very determined to draw a line between himself and those people. Not because he thought he was better, not because he considered them to be lower value people, but he knew they were false apostles. And in verses 13, 14, and 15 of this passage, Paul uses the word transforming and transformed. And he writes about false apostles and deceitful workers who would be transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. He even says that Satan himself is able to transform into an angel of light and that his ministers or Satan's servants can be transformed as ministers of righteousness. But then he says, in the end, they'll get what they deserve. God will judge them. The words transforming and transform in this passage are a little different to when it talks of us about us being transformed in Romans chapter 12, but the words include in their meanings, and if you look at other English versions, you'll find the words masquerade and disguise. In other words, although their intentions were wicked, they were able to present themselves in a fashion that looked good. You see, to be acceptable, you must be believable. Paul compared what happened to Eve to what could happen to the church. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read one verse, the first verse, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan has been associated with snakes and serpents throughout Scripture and history since that day. But that wasn't the case before that chapter. Eve was not afraid of the snake. It was To her, it was just another animal. The Scripture says that God made the serpent. God made the snake just as He did all the other animals. But one of the distinguishing characteristics of the serpent was that it was subtle or that it was cunning, was able to approach carefully. Being subtle is not always a negative trait. If you're wise, you'll be subtle sometimes in how you approach something. But in this situation, it was this quality, it was this subtlety that was the reason that Satan chose this animal to use as his vehicle to approach Eve. You might think, well, pastor, that's a stretch. But if you'll remember in the Old Testament, God spoke to a man through a donkey. In the New Testament, we read that it was possible for pigs to be filled with evil spirits. So it's not a stretch to think that Satan could use a serpent. Amen. The serpent or the snake was Satan's masquerade or disguise of choice in this situation. See, what you've got to remember is that what happened in the Garden of Eden was the very first temptation. It's not a strange thing today. Temptation, we live with it every day. But on that day, it was the very first temptation. Mankind had never been tempted before. Mankind had never fallen before. And so Satan, for all his wickedness, he knew that what he was about to try to do had to be done well. 
He had to use the best of his abilities. And so the model that he chose, he chose an animal that was subtle. I've said it before, but he didn't choose a bull or an elephant. They're not animals that you use when you think of subtlety. He chose something that would be discreet. If you like the temptation, his first effort to influence humanity was made to measure. It was custom built for the situation. Satan had no doubt, I believe, watched these new image creatures that God had made placed in a garden. He had an intense desire to destroy them. It's not a stretch to say that he hated them because they were closer to God than he had ever been. And he carefully prepared a plan that he hoped would work, and sadly, it did. And since that day, the serpent has been associated with the devil and wickedness ever since. You see, when something is made to measure, it only has one customer in mind, one target market. Unless the clothes that you and I are wearing tonight, unless you made them personally, and if you can do that, that's wonderful, it is likely that you bought the clothes you're wearing from a retail outlet. Possibly a bigger place like Kmart, Target, Big W, Meyer, David Jones, etc. A smaller men's or ladies' wear store, of which we know there are many. Nowadays, you might have bought them online. Let's not raise our hands for who likes to shop online. Brother Steve has, needs a job, and you shop online to keep Brother Steve employed at Amazon. Amen. But you walked into a shop somewhere, you selected something from a rack, possibly tried it on and made a decision to buy it. And then if you'll forgive me, particularly if you're a lady, you wore it to church that, hoping that somebody else wasn't at the same sale that you were at that week. You go to conference and you go, oh, they're wearing the same dress as me. And men, we're pretty plain. It's like, yeah, blue suit, gray suit, black suit. But that's kind of how it is because you see that garment was no doubt made in a factory somewhere. It's one of hundreds, potentially thousands, that were made exactly the same. But when something is made to measure, or tailor-made, or bespoke is the word, you don't just grab it off a rack and head for the checkout. You meet with an expert, someone that you go to see, and they will measure you from head to toe. They'll measure your neck, your shoulders, your chest, your waist, if it's like my waist, they need a couple of measuring tapes. Your hips, the length of your legs, and then that expert will talk to you about fabrics and styles and what your personal preference is for every detail and feature. If you ever bought, had something custom made or tailor made, you understand what I'm talking about. There's, there, there is a detail, there is a, a, a focus on detail that is not there when you go to some mass-produced outlet. They will take care of every little... You, you can get bespoke shoes. You can get shoes that are made just for your feet. So no matter how weird shaped they are because of the feet you inherited from your grandmother on your mother's side, they will fit you perfectly because they're made just for you. I have a friend who was telling me he, he was given a, a gift voucher for, for a, a custom-made or a personally-made dress shirt. And he said the level of detail that these people went to to fit that shirt to him properly they even asked him which wrist he wore his watch on so they could make that cuff a little bigger so his watch would fit in the sleeve custom made just for him just for him and when you have something custom made or bespoke made when it's all said and done you hand over a lot more money than the other options would have cost you 
but you end up with a suit or a dress or a pair of shoes that is just for you. Just for you. And I believe Satan carefully planned the first temptation like a master tailor, recognizing the need for subtlety. He knew that the kick the front door open and charge in approach wasn't going to work. But he came alongside Eve and approached gently. And when her guard was let down, he began to question the word of God. And he, that situation is the reason that we need to be saved today, some thousands of years later. When Adam and Eve allowed sin to become a part of our human nature, Satan started mass-producing temptations so that everybody could just go and buy them off the rack. Wherever you went, there were temptations to be had. Galatians 5, 19 through to 21 lists some of the products that are available. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When all of those wicked desires entered into you and I, we don't like to think of them, but if you're honest tonight, you can read that list, and if you can't find at least a handful that you know are within your own human nature, you need to have a fresh look. Because we have that sinful nature, and these things are the works of the flesh and they are in us and they those lusts of the flesh try to draw us away from God. You see, retail is all about supply and demand. As long as there is a product, you can keep producing. As long as people will easily fall into sin, the devil will continue to offer temptation. He'll continue to make it easy for you to sin. He'll set up new outlets on every street, on every corner, in every neighborhood, in every home, in every city, in every nation across this world. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, the devil was in business. And business was good. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually judges 17 and 6 in those days there was no king in israel but every man did that which was right in his own eyes proverbs 14 and 12 there is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death this was satan's marketplace all of humanity was buying what he had to sell paying a price that they didn't really understand what it would cost then through Abraham, God began to make a people for his name's sake. He gave them his law, commanded them to be separate from the nations around about them, to live different, to look different, to eat different, to worship differently. This new nation presented a challenge to Satan. And he started to get into the made-to-measure business. You see, all he had to do and all the other nations that worshipped idols was knock on the front door and they opened the door and let him in. But Israel wouldn't open the front door, so he had to find another way. He had to look for ways to try to destroy the people of God from the inside. In the book of Numbers, there are so many examples I could use tonight, but in the book of Numbers, somewhere around about chapter 16, he began to whisper in the ear of a young man named Korah. 
persuaded him to lead a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And when that was over, when that was finished, there was somewhere around 15,000 souls that went into an eternity without God. Just a few chapters later, a morally bankrupt prophet named Balaam was unable to curse the people of God as much as the enemies of Israel tried to pay him with a blank check. But he said, if God has blessed them, I can't curse them. But he taught the enemies of God's people to lead the people of Israel into immorality. So they went down and they they led the people like lambs to the slaughter into immorality. And after that wickedness had gone through the camp, another 24,000 souls had gone into eternity on the wrong side of the ledger. You need to understand who it is that we're at war with, church. So many other examples I could bring from Scripture for where Satan tried to bring sin to the people of God, carefully designing and selecting a situation here and a person there. We can think of Achan, of how he brought sin into the camp when they won the battle of Jericho and how it cost people their lives. See, we've got to understand when sin comes into the people of God, people die. They went to fight at Ai, that next little village that didn't even seem worth sending soldiers to. And by the end of that day, there were families who didn't have fathers and husbands anymore because of Achan's sin. Samson constantly flirted with sin. The devil didn't have to work too hard with him. He was just dumb. He just fell into temptation again and again and again and paid a very high price. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. There was no way the devil could have come to him through the front door of the palace. But hey, you're a wise man. You're the ruler of the the known world at the time. Here's a good idea. Why don't you marry Pharaoh's daughter? Why don't you marry this other young lady from this other country? Let's build political alliances. Oh, that's smart. That's strategic. That's brilliant. But the whole thing was a Trojan horse because the scripture says that when he was old, his wives turned his heart away from God and that his heart was not right as the heart of his father David was. And even though he was the wisest man that ever breathed, Satan custom made something for him. He didn't buy off the rack for Solomon. He designed it for that situation. In First Kings, there's a tragic story of a young prophet whose name were not even given who was commanded by God to go in before Jeroboam and to, to prophesy over an altar and curse an altar. And you read that story, he did, and God split the altar in half and the ashes fell down and Jeroboam said, take a hold of him, and his arm shriveled up and then he decided he needed him to pray for him. So he prayed for him, his arm was renewed, and he said, come and eat. And he said, no, I can't. God said, get in and get out and don't stop, go a different way home. He said, I've got to do what God said. But as he was doing what God said, word got back to a backslidden old prophet. I don't know who this is for tonight, but backslidden prophets are very, very dangerous. And this man went and found the young man, talked the talk, told him that he was a prophet like he was, and he knew what God had said, but, you know, why don't you come? And he went back to this man. He wouldn't eat with the king, but custom designed, made to measure. And while he was having dinner, the Spirit of God moved through that backslidden old man and his death was prophesied because of his disobedience. Even into the New Testament, Judas, most famous betrayer of all, 
You read that the Lord rebuked the disciples. We heard about the woman with the alabaster box this morning when she extravagantly worshipped God. The disciples said this is a waste of money. This money, this, this alabaster ointment could have been sold and the money given to the poor and the Lord rebuked them. And the Bible lets us know that it was from that point that Judas sought for an opportunity to betray the Lord because he was the treasurer. He was looking after the money and the devil had allowed, he'd helped that money get into his heart and mind. And when he saw that alabaster box, all he saw was dollar signs or shekel signs, whatever it was. And something got into his heart. It's hard to imagine walking with God manifesting the flesh and doing that. So don't think you're immune. Satan custom built that situation for Judas to fall. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus produced a body of people in a New Testament context who were filled with a power that suddenly could reject Satan, that suddenly could say no to the devil, to what he was selling. You see, we've repented of our sins. We've tried to walk away from thoughts and actions and behaviors and lifestyles that once held us captive. But when you're full of the Holy Ghost, the devil knows you're not going to buy any old thing off the rack. He knows that when the Spirit of God is in you and it's flowing through, you're not just going to fall for some obvious thing. So he's going to come to you with something made to measure just for you. Read the New Testament, just a couple of examples. Demas was a fine young man mentioned in the book of Colossians, a young man that labored with the Apostle Paul. Paul spoke about Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. They're with me. We're serving God together. But then Demas is mentioned again in Second Timothy at the end of Paul's life. Paul says that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. We don't have a lot of detail, but somewhere along the way in the missionary journeys, something that was just the right fit for Demas crossed his path and he fell. You read the third epistle of John, you read about a young man, well, I think he was a young man, doesn't really say. His name was Diotrephes. Bible says that he loved the preeminence. He wanted to be the big kahuna. He wanted to be the head cheese. He wanted to be the one that made all the decisions. He was causing all kinds of problems in the church. He didn't wake any room for his elders. He wanted to be the one that was calling all the shots. It doesn't tell us much about him, but no doubt, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that at some point Satan packaged him up a little bundle of pride and self-importance that fit him like a glove. You see, the bottom line is that if you're in the market for a made-to-measure opportunity to walk away from Jesus, the devil has an offer just for you. Nobody's immune. Pastors, preachers, long-time saints, nobody's immune. He's that good at what he does. And I'm not giving him any credit or any glory. That's just the facts. You see, his catalog... Includes a whole lot of specials that are there for you to buy if you want to. There, He has ways to make you so busy that you don't have time to pray. Well, I got this on my plate and I'm flat out here and flat out there and I know I need to pray, but I think God understands. God understands how much you need to pray. But it makes sense, but just for a season. He's got job opportunities for you that will require you to miss church. Oh, but, you know, I'm still going to send my tithes in, support the, the house of God financially. I'll still give to missions. I'll get there when I can. But God opened this door, so it must be from Him. 
You know, when I think of a tailor, and maybe this is just my mind, I think of a little old man, maybe balding, tape measure around his neck, pair of half frame glasses, measuring everything up. You stand still long enough, he'll measure you. Hallelujah. Offenses. Offenses are the highest selling product that the devil offers in the church marketplace. Year in, year out, they are his number one product. They sell themselves. They don't need advertising. They're just one of those things that walks out the door. So he, he can just, he could live off those if it was money. Family. Just because the family is God's design, don't think the devil can't use it. I sat in a meeting. I was thinking about this this afternoon. I sat in a meeting more than 10 years ago. It was an executive board meeting of the National Church. We were meeting with an older brother, a man of God, a man who'd been a licensed minister for decades, a man who had a prophetic ministry. But you see, this man, this elder, this elder had a son who was also in the ministry. But his son had got caught up with some of these false apostles, some of these deceivers. And he left the church and gone after the bright lights of charismatic Christianity. This old man sat before the elders of the church with tears running down his face and he said, I've got to go to try to keep my son. He walked out of the church, left the apostolic truth and this today, neither he nor his son are in any kind of church at all because something was made just to fit. But oh, a father's heart, I get that. I understand the father's heart of wanting to reach and preserve his son. I understand that better than some of you understand. But there is a line. There is a line. If Satan himself can be transformed into an angel of light, he masquerades and he disguises himself. He has all the costumes, all the outfits that he needs to play every part to perfection and he will persuade you that it's from God that it's justified that you are right to take that position that the way you're reacting the way you're behaving the way you're thinking the way you whatever it is that you're doing is all right because of and you stop moving spiritually and you stand parked on one spot and the tailor who's been custom making temptation since the garden of eden begins to measure you and says, I think we'll let this out a little here. We'll tuck it in a little there. We'll make this a little longer. We'll make that a little tight. I, I think you'd look wonderful in this color. I think it would bring out your eyes and he appeals to your pride and to your ego. And he, the whole time he's measuring you for a suit that you cannot afford to buy. Matthew chapter 22, if I could have a musician, please. Verse 11, story of the, of the wedding feast. And the king invited his guests and some came and some rejected the invitation. It says, Matthew twenty two eleven. when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, friend, how'd you come in here without a wedding garment? And it says he was speechless. Because if many of you understand, but for those that don't, the tradition was that the king the one who organized the feast, the one whose family wedding it was, provided the garments for the guests. And so he couldn't say, well, you can't, well that's a bit tough, Jesus. Maybe you didn't have enough money to buy a new suit. It was provided. 
and he did not wear it. And if you read on, it says that he was bound hand and foot and cast out into darkness. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is not a message to instill fear that you've got to be paranoid. I don't believe in looking for devils under the bed. But Satan has been deceiving humanity as long as there's been humanity. And we need to be awake. We need to be vigilant. We need to recognize that what we're being sold is not worth the price that we will pay for it. You ever bought something and been embarrassed later on when you realize how much you spent on it and it wasn't really worth it? Now, let's be honest. <laughs> you get home and you think, well, they saw me coming. <laughs> what do you think eternity will be like? You pay a price for a custom-made garment of sin and offense, whatever it is that's been your design. We talk about being embarrassed about what you're willing to spend. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would stand with me. This isn't on the slide, Sarah, so don't worry. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. Check your garments. Check your garments. There has no temptation taken you such as is common to man. That does not mean that everybody is being tempted exactly the same way. What it means is that he's working on everybody. It means that being tempted is common to all humanity. If you will allow him, he'll measure you up tonight. If you will allow him to, he's going to fit you into, you know what? It's going to feel comfortable. You know why? Because it's going to appeal to your flesh. If the temptation of the enemy is more comfortable than the presence of God, you're in trouble. You cannot be the friend of God and the friend of the world. And then he said this, but God is faithful. But God is faithful. The psalmist said, let his priests be clothed in righteousness and the saints shout for joy. Hallelujah. God is faithful. Who? will not suffer you to be attempt to be tempted above that that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape what that means is that while the devil's measuring god's providing a way while he's measuring you for a garment that you're not sure you can get of god's got an escape hatch ready to go if you will look to him god is faithful Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments. Oh, hallelujah. What are we wearing tonight, church? You see, the devil wants to make to measure, but so does the king of kings. He clothes us with righteousness. He turns our mourning into dancing. He's put off 
our sackcloth and girded us, the Bible says, with gladness. If you haven't got gladness tonight, if you haven't got the joy of the Lord, I would ask you, what are you wearing? Who's making your clothes tonight? This altar is open. Hallelujah. If you want to come and have a look in the mirror of God's Word and say, God, what am I wearing? Who's making my garments tonight? Who's measuring me? Am I growing into the stature of the fullness of the man Christ Jesus? Or am I being clothed in darkness and shame and torment and anguish? Hallelujah, Jesus. The hour cometh, we heard this morning, and now is that the Father seeketh such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Oh, Brother Paul, I don't care if you're rude, tell me the truth. I don't care if your speech is contemptible, tell me the truth. Tell me what I need to know. Let me not be deceived. Let not me fall for a devil dressed as an angel. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, help us not to be deceived, I pray. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. 